just good to be able to be back together. And uh, that'd be our prayer this morning as we're, we're just worshiping that in each way that the Lord leads us, may that be, um, may it be to his honor that as he leads us, may we walk in obedience, may we go directly and boldly in obedience this morning. I want to make you aware of a few things just before we get into God's word this morning. And one of those things deals with some things coming up. Uh, beginning uh, next week, we want to begin some of our men's and women's discipleship groups. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. We just want to encourage you to take part in that. And if you'd like to be a part of one of our men's and women's discipleship group, you can go to the website, click on the Connect tab, and then click on Discipleship Group Interest. And what will happen with that is it will go ahead and uh, take the information from that survey and then assign you to uh, a discipleship group, a men's group, women's group, and those groups will be meeting virtually. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that, to stay connected with the body. The second thing we want to make you aware of is just uh, our online giving. And so in a moment here, we'll be praying for our offering. But as we do that, we wanted to make you aware of a shift. Uh, last week, we had some technical difficulties with the website. And one of the ways that we were having some problems was that some of you weren't able to access uh, that giving portal. We've made a change with that. We've gone with a giving portal called Planning Center Give. And we would just encourage you, uh, as you give, to just notice that there is uh, not much change in terms of the interface, but we wanted you to be aware of that in case you saw a difference there. And so if you have any questions about that, feel free to give us a call at the church office. We'd be happy to walk you through that. And then finally, we want to share with you what's coming up this Wednesday night on April 22nd. At 6.30, we'll be having a time of prayer on our Zoom uh, just together. And as we do that, we're going to be actually meeting with some of our missionaries as well. It'll be an opportunity to pray for some of them, to hear from some of them as they've come off the field, to hear how they're being affected throughout the world with uh, coronavirus and the challenges they've faced as a result of that and being in countries um, that are impoverished and um, are experiencing challenges and difficulties. And so we want to encourage you uh, to be a part of that prayer time. You'll be receiving a link this week. And uh, once we're in that, we'll have an opportunity to pray with those missionaries, and we'll also have an opportunity to be prayed for as we pray together about evangelism efforts here in Sonoma County and the areas in which you live. One of the things we want to do is take an opportunity to use this as a time for the gospel, to consider how we can begin to live out our faith and share our faith, even in this shelter in place. How can we bring hope um, and share the hope of Christ with people at times, especially when they feel uh, somewhat hopeless um, and discouraged. And so we want to be mindful of that. So at this time, let's go ahead and pray for our offering, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. I would encourage you throughout the message this morning, feel free to, to pause the live stream and then pick back up if you want to discuss something together as a family or with those that you're with, uh, or just to pause to pray. And so I uh, would love for you to, to do that, to just be encouraged as you're going through and listening through God's Word, engaging with His Word this morning as we share together. So let's go ahead and just pray for our offering at this time. Lord, thanks that we can come to You knowing that You are all that we truly need. Thank You that You supply everything that we need. Father, thank You for the gifts that You've given to us. Thank You for Your faithfulness in providing and meeting the needs Thank you for providing us a new family in Christ that's much larger than our immediate family. And Father, we thank you that we can come to one another in love and care for one another. Father, we think of our missionaries that have come off the field. We think of Rocky and Sylvia. We think of Brenda Allen and Marilyn Escher and God, others that have come home just in this brief period of time. And God, we know that for many of them, this is now a place that they visit, that home is, is actually where they're serving. So Lord, we pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning. We pray that you would empower their ministry, even as they're at a distance. And so Lord, as we, we give because you gave first, Lord, may it be from a heart of gratitude and of faith this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As I knock into things, I apologize. One of the things that we're hoping to do this week is to 
be able to look at God's word and to spend time as a family in a little more personal way as we proclaim God's word. And this morning we're going to pick up back in 2 Peter where we left off a few weeks ago as Ben finished up with 2 Peter chapter 1. And our hope this morning is as you get into God's word that you would be encouraged and that you would be challenged as we look at this idea of being delivered out of falsehood. And what do we mean by that? Well, if you think a look at, kind of think through your life and you think about counterfeit things, you think about going to other places, and I don't know about you guys, but there were times in my life where I saw something that was counterfeit that looked real, and you went and you purchased it, and it was something that didn't work. And the, the thing I can think of when I was, was young was a Rubik's Cube. And I, I went and I got it, and I should have known that the cost of that Rubik's Cube was probably not going to really last because it wasn't a Rubik's Cube and it was cheaply made. And when you went to turn that Rubik's Cube, the pieces started coming apart. And I can remember being disappointed that I had spent my money on something that was just broken. It wasn't worth the value that I thought it was going to be. Another time that I thought I had something worth of value but realized I didn't was uh, kind of a story that I would share with you guys that I'm almost embarrassed to share. And so uh, what I'd ask is that, uh, that the teasing stops within the next five years and just not right now. But um, when I was growing up, my, uh, my mom decided to buy me a Cabbage Patch doll that was not really a Cabbage Patch doll, but she did it because she thought I was going to feel bad because she bought my sister a Cabbage Patch doll. And so I had this Cabbage Patch doll for a number of years, but failed to realize that this Cabbage Patch doll was not fully uh, a Cabbage Patch doll. Let's put it that way. And so as I hung on to this doll thinking that it might be worth something, quickly realizing as I looked at it that it really didn't have the same features as a lot of Cabbage Patch dolls, realized that the value of it was worth nothing, that from a distance it looked exactly like a Cabbage Patch doll, but in reality it was just a counterfeit. Well, this morning we're going to talk about counterfeits. We're going to talk about those things that look to be true that are not. And in this case, what we're going to see is that as it relates to our faith, those things that look to be true that are not actually are dangerous. And so we're going to be diving into 2 Peter 2. And this is what it says as we open up. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today. Just the first part of 10. Next week we'll pick up the last part of 10 and run through the end of the chapter. But let's go ahead and read that passage together. If you have your Bibles with you, please feel free to to read along, and this is what it says. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even desiring the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will fall into sexuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may our hearts be open to hearing. Lord, may be your spirit who leads, that empowers your word, 
Father, we're thankful that you've given us ways to to share and communicate the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is able to still go out. Thanks that we can gather around your word too. Father, push me aside. May it be your spirit who leads and moves this morning. May your word come forth in power and we ask this in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is the fact that God's deliverance from the destruction of false teachers is rooted in his revealed word and grace. God's deliverance from the destruction of false teachers is rooted in his revealed word and grace. God's deliverance through word and grace. That's what we're looking at this morning. That his deliverance is through the word and through his grace. Peter's writing to Christians in this passage, and he's, he's actually desiring for them and for us as well to remain firm in our calling as Christ's followers. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 19-21, it gives us the context to our passage this morning, and this is what it says. It says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is encouraging the Christians to trust in the confidence of the Scriptures knowing that the individual authors spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 2.1 then begins this way. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. See, in essence, Peter is contrasting the biblical prophets with the false prophets who've plagued God's people throughout history. He's providing a warning to the followers of Christ. He's basically saying, Beware. Take note. In fact, notice that what he's sharing in this passage is that there were those men who spoke from God, who were prophetic, that were where we get our scriptures from. They were carried along by God, by the Spirit. And then there are these other men who are false teachers, who if they're not carried along by God... They have only one purpose. They're voices of the enemy, of Satan, not of God. And the contrast is clear. And so he's saying, on the one hand, the scriptures can be trusted, but the words of these false teachers cannot be. It is through the authority of God's word that we can have confidence. And so notice here that the false teachers actually arise from among the people. They're not coming from the outside in. They're actually from among the people. In Acts 20, 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul affirms this when he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. It's a clear warning to us. That's a clear warning for us to, to be paying attention. What he's saying is listen, the same way that a wolf can try to disguise itself as a sheep to get into the, the herd and, and separate one and take the sheep down, it's the same way that Satan works. He's crafty. I think a lot of times we're not quite ready for it. We kind of set ourselves up. I remember being in a ball game when I was younger and I was probably 13 and it was the first year that we were playing on the big fields, on the, the full-size baseball fields. 
And I remember as I was coming across as a shortstop, coming across the bag, I was kind of going lackadaisical. I wasn't going full speed. And as the first baseman picked up the ball to throw to second, and I was coming across the bag at second, the, the ball hopped. And because I wasn't going full speed, I wasn't there when I normally would be there. Ball jumped up, and I mean, just smacked me in the face. And I remember feeling like my nose just exploded. And it all could have been avoided if I had just been paying attention. If I had just been ready. But I remember the pain of that, of taking it off the nose and dropping to the ground. And, and you guys know that one of the things, and I don't know that many people like or don't like being hit in the face. I am one of those guys that I can't stand being smacked in the face. And it, I'll tell you, it just disoriented me and I was bleeding everywhere and it was painful. That's what happens to us too. That's the design of false teachers is to bring pain and to bring hurt to us spiritually. In fact, from the scripture, we're told that it's designed to bring destruction. In Acts 20, verses 19 through 20, as we just saw, he said that men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's their purpose. Don't believe that there's any other purpose of a false teacher other than to draw you away from Christ. No matter how nice you think they are, one that is leading you astray is there simply to draw you away. So how do we experience God's deliverance from the destructive work of false teachers? God's saying that in this passage that we can expect that if they were there during the time of the prophets and that there were false prophets and they were there during the time in the New Testament and they were clearly there, that we can also expect false teachers to be present today. So how do we experience God's deliverance from the destructive work of false teachers? Maybe a better way to put that is how do we avoid the destruction of false teachers? Well, the first thing we see here in verses 1 through 3 is it says, just at the end, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And here it is, who will? And Peter gives a description. And the first thing that we see here is that we need to be watchful. Watchful. We need to be a people who are watching out. We're actually told in 1 Peter in verse, excuse me, in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're to be watchful. You see, God shows us what to look for in a false prophet. He, he doesn't say, hey, there's danger out there, and oh, by the way, you're just going to have to figure it out. There's some mystery you've got to go hunt for and look for. No, God actually gives us a picture. And it means that we're to take that picture and we're to use discernment. See, Paul also tells us that they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. These are going to be individuals who are deceptive, and often they're initially liked within the body. Heresy often has been referred to as any theological error, no matter how serious. But the truth is, is that the heresy that's being spoken of here is actually a, a heresy that I like the way that Robert Godfrey puts it. He says that heresy is better defined classically as theological errors which deprive people of salvation. We're going to have differences in understanding of Scripture. We're going to have that. But where we're not going to have necessarily differences or that we are going to say, listen, this is where it's real heresy, is when somebody is rejecting salvation through Christ alone. The truth is, is that we believe that Jesus is the only way. And for those that are beginning to add things to it, take things away from it, 
we begin to experience the heresy that we're seeing in this passage and the heresy that the early church talked about. A heresy that deprived people of salvation. So what are the markings then of a false teacher? Well, right here in verses 2 and 3, we see them at the end of verse 1. The first is that teaching that denies the truth and or work of Christ. We just talked about that. That in verse 1, it says, Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You see, the false teachers appear to be saved. However, they deny the very one who bought their salvation. In 1 Corinthians 7.23, it says, You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. We're to be slaves of Christ. When somebody is, is leading us astray and giving us a different version of the salvation that's laid out in Scripture, we need to recognize that, that that's not okay. We need to recognize that that's actually dangerous. Recognize that we're being led astray. See, there are several ways which false teachers deny Christ. It may be through the rejection of Christ's deity, as we often see with Jehovah's Witness, for example. Or his humanity. It may be that the addition of works as a source of one's justification are added. So it's no longer by faith alone in Christ, but it's faith and works and other things with it. For others... It may be people, maybe leading people away from the Lord to worship other gods. We see that in Mormonism today. A leading away to worship other gods. And it may be denial of repentance as a part of faith. I think one of the most dangerous things that we experience today is a salvation that simply says belief apart from repentance. Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. We need to understand that repentance is a part of belief. It acknowledges that we're sinners. It acknowledges that Christ is Lord. But the truth is, is that as a part of this, we can see that those are just a few examples that we have of what a person who is drawing us away from the Lord looks like, whether that is the rejection of the deity of Christ, the rejection of the humanity of Christ, whether it's leading someone to follow other gods other than Christ, whether it's the addition of, of, of works as a needed basis for justification or even the denial of repentance, and we just spoke about that. Warren Wearsby points out that even good and godly Christians may disagree on fine points of doctrine, but they all agree on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God and God the Son. He is the only Savior. To deny this is to condemn your own soul. What's the second mark of a false teacher then? Well, it says here in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. They appeal to the flesh. They appeal to the flesh. The word for sensuality in Greek here is a seglua, and it literally means licentiousness or completely lacking in moral restraint. It's a faith that basically says, I'm not going to deny myself and honor God in righteousness, but I'm going to live for myself while professing the name of Christ. Do you see the difference? God's called us to deny self and honor Him Those who are appealing to the flesh are saying, go ahead and live for self as you profess my name. The promise or the problem with it is is that it actually blasphemes the truth of God. There are those who are around that look at this and see this and it, it actually, to the world, distorts the truth of God. Because on the one hand, the person actually is professing a faith in Christ and yet they looked exactly like the world. Jude Forbes describes in this way, it says, For a certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, 
ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They look to appeal to the flesh. There really is no sacrifice. It really is come as you are, stay as you are. Things like sexuality and sensuality are approved of. Sex outside of marriage is okay because you love each other. Things become relative and choices become relative and you can do whatever you want to please it because it's all under the grace of Christ. And the grace of Christ becomes an excuse to sin. It says here that the truth is blasphemed. Notice that as a result of this blaspheming of the truth, that there aren't just a few led astray, but it says that many will follow. See, false teachers are often popular and tend to be divisive over time. It shouldn't shock us that they're popular. It doesn't mean that every person that is well-known is a false teacher. That's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is, is that there are a lot of believers who are going to be misled because they're not equipped They're not ready. They're not being watchful. And without realizing it, they get sucked in because they're not being watchful. They're not measuring it against the Scriptures. See, we see this in our day today. False prophets that have large followings large followings and they demand nothing but belief. Repentance isn't even spoken of. I remember a friend who had moved to Texas and was driving by a large church in that particular area. And I remember one of the things that he said that was so odd to him was driving past this massive church and as he drove past on the building was a little tiny name of this church. But in letters that were like, he said four times or five times the size of the name of the church was the name of the pastor and his ministry. I'm not saying that that defines a false teacher, but what I am saying is the emphasis is not on God. The emphasis and attention is not on the church, but the emphasis and attention is actually on the individual. And so the leader himself draws attention to himself rather than to God The focus becomes on the leader or on the person rather than on God. And people begin sacrificing everything at the foot of the individual rather than God. See, as followers of Christ, we become prone to being deceived when we only view God according to one of his attributes as opposed to all of his attributes. See, if we see God as just God of love without seeing God as a God of justice and holiness and of righteousness, we will be misled by false teachers. False teachers will take us down a road because guess what? Yes, you can do whatever you want with whoever you want because why? Because it's in the name of love. Why should I stop somebody having a destructive habit in their life? Because, well, I just need to walk in love. And by love, what they mean is not challenging, encouraging, and even when necessary, rebuking. God desires us to not just walk and to trust in one of his attributes, but we need to walk in accordance with all of his attributes. The third mark of a false teacher is lying and deceptive speech. Lying and deceptive speech. Notice in verse 3, it says, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The, The false teacher manipulates Scripture to benefit them, often for financial gain. 
Simply put, as the Scripture says, they're driven by greed. See, the false teacher is not somebody who's just acting innocently, but the false teacher is somebody who has known the Scriptures, saw the Scriptures, understood the truth, and rejected it. That's hard for us at times to get our arms around. But it's really clearly seen, and maybe they wouldn't put it in those words, but it's individuals who in their own life reject the Lordship of Christ. They aren't submitted to God, and they won't submit to God because they never wanted to be submitted to God. What's interesting in this passage is that the Greek word for false here is plastos. It's actually where we get our root word in English for plastic. These are plastic words. They mean nothing. They speak plastic words. See, flattery is another thing that becomes common. And what happens is that flattery, whether it's flattery of individuals or flattery of a body, it begins to puff up others rather than allow us to walk in the humility of God's grace. Self-serving. In fact, in those environments, people with money are often given priority, and there is little transparency. I hope that you know, as the elders here at Redemption, that our desire, in fact, our strong instruction to you is do not put any one of us on a pedestal. Our heart is to be transparent before you guys. Because we recognize that we too are sinners. We too are flawed. And it's only by the grace of God that we too have salvation. God has gifted us and called us. He did not make us perfect in this life in the same way that He did not make you perfect in this life. The only way that we experience the perfection of God is through Jesus Christ, and that is His work and not ours. It's important to note here that the very first qualification of an elder, those who would be teaching, those who who should be preaching, those who should be carrying the authority ministry, the teaching authority ministry within the church, it says an overseer must be above reproach. Then in verse 3, it says they must not be a lover of money. And then in 1 Timothy 5, it's clear, though, that elders are worthy of their hire and that they're to be honored accordingly to their compensation. But money must never be the motivation for ministry. It should never be the motivation for serving in ministry. It can't be. a challenge sometimes, even within my own family, to, to be able to say, listen, the reality is, is that God has called, and there are things and needs that have to be met, but the ministry is not done because it's a job. It's done because God has called us. False teachers are our doing it for the money. It says here they're doing it out of greed. Someone once said that the only thing more dangerous than a wolf in sheep's clothing is when a, a sheep's clothing, excuse me, a wolf in sheep's, let me restate this again. Someone once said that the only thing more dangerous than a wolf in sheep's clothing is when a wolf in sheep's clothing is exalted to be a shepherd. Why? Because it leads to destruction. That's what Peter's saying. That false teachers lead to destruction. It's not something to be dealt with passively. For some of you, it may have even been a little bit uncomfortable to talk for a moment about Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. But the reality is, is it as nice as they may be as people, they are leading people down a path of destruction. We should still be praying for them. We still should be loving them. 
But when we hear the truth, we should be addressing that and confronting that truth. It's not passive. Notice what it says. It says here at the end that their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Why are they dangerous? Because their condemnation is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It will lead to destruction. Every false religion that converts another person to it is another person headed towards destruction. As a church, do we care? Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah, it's hard. But do you ever see that another person, oh, you know, they're lovely people. They are. In terms of friendship and relationship, but understand what God's saying about it here. He's saying that those who are actively teaching a false gospel are leading others into destruction. We don't get the freedom to say, oh, they're a nice person. Let's just deal with it passively. What he's saying is, no, it's to be dealt with. For others of you, you might be sitting in a, a church that is preaching a false gospel, or you, you might even be attending one of those churches, and you've come to realize that what's being taught is not a gospel that's coming from the Word of God. It's not a true gospel, but you're hanging around because it's too hard to get out. Well, God has some answers for that. Because the second, the second way that we avoid the destruction of false teachers, the second way that we experience the deliverance of God from false teachers is to know that God's judgment is just as sure as his deliverance. To know that God's judgment is just as sure as his deliverance. Notice what he does here. He actually speaks of the angels and of the ancient time. The time of Noah and then the time of Lot. Twice in the phrase he says, for if God did not spare... And he uses that in this proportion. And then he describes the consequence of the rebellious angels, the ancient world during the time of Noah, and Sodom and Gomorrah in relationship to their ungodliness. He says this. He said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if he, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And then he says, and if he rescued righteous Lot. So first he gives us a picture of his judgment. He talks about how the angels have fallen. In Isaiah 14, speaking of those angels which rebelled against God, we know that there are angels that reside with God, that minister. We know the importance of the angels that ministered to Jesus prior to his, prior to his death. We don't talk much about the angels that had rebelled against God and were kicked out of heaven. Isaiah 14 tells us a little bit about the fall of one of those angels who was Satan himself, Lucifer. And he says, It's how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Listen to what he said. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. And I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Cast out of heaven into hell. That sounds like God's judgment. God did that with the angels. And then we're told in Genesis 6, 11 through 13, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, 
I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God's judgment against those who are doing their own thing. And then we read in Luke 17 about Lot. And the truth is, is that the Sodom and Gomorrah, some are familiar with it, but the city was a city rampant with sexual immorality, rampant with hedonism. And we're told in the scriptures here in Luke 17 that Lot had gone during that time, during the day of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we're told that the destruction that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah came and the people weren't expecting it. It says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Do not grow complacent, believing that because God's judgment has not yet come, that it will not. And do not buy the lie that there are no consequences for walking apart from God. It's easy to, to, to get lazy and think that, gosh, I don't think the Lord's ever going to come. And what does it really matter if I walk in these things right now? And is God really going to deal with the false teachers? Is God going to really deal with me if I'm walking in that false teaching? The answer is yes. And what he's saying is, don't buy the lie that there is no judgment. The same thing that allows us to believe that God has one attribute and that only attribute is love is the same thing that makes us believe that there is no eternal consequence. It's sad to say that over a number of years now, I've watched people turn away from the truth of an eternal damnation apart from God. It's so hard to understand how a loving God and their eyes can, can turn away from people and allow them to experience a eternal condemnation in hell. And yes, it's hard to understand if God's only attribute is love, but God has other attributes like holiness and righteousness. And he has mercy. Because just as sure as God's judgment will occur, so will his deliverance. You see, God delivers Noah in Genesis 6-9, and he describes Noah as a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Lot, on the other hand, Lot was a man in a, a city that was debased, that was full of all kinds of debauchery. We're told that his family was in it and that Lot could have left and that this, this city was actually affecting Lot. It was grieving his soul. It was making it difficult to walk in righteousness. And in a horrible moment... We know the story of Lot where he hands his daughter to the men, the two daughters, and he sends them out to protect the angels. But here's the thing. Why would Peter say that Lot is righteous? Well, we can assume that his faith, that it was reckoned to him in the same way that it was to Abraham. You see, in that moment when he was then encouraged to go out of the city. Lot goes and he's instructed to stay focused, to move forward. His wife turns back and turns into a pillar of salt and yet Lot stays forward, going forward with the Lord. You see, God's deliverance 
is both for the strong in faith and the weak in faith. Noah's a contrast to Lot, and yet both, through faith, experience the salvation of God. Some of us might be struggling right now. We may be wondering, gosh, we've been wrestling with some sin. Is God really at work in my life? Is he really walking in deliverance? Do I really have his deliverance in my life? Listen. God's deliverance is for the strong in faith and the weak in faith. Turn towards him. If Lot, who handed his daughters over to these animalistic men, can experience the salvation of God, so can you. So can each of us. But you know when we're vulnerable? You know when we're vulnerable to the, those that prowl, that look for our destruction, is when we're questioning whether or not we're worthy of Christ's salvation. And the beauty of it is, is not one of us is worthy of Christ's salvation. Not one. But that's why Jesus died. That's why he gave us his salvation. So finally, God wants us to know to first be watchful. Secondly, to know that his judgment is just as sure as his deliverance. And then finally, we need to trust God's wisdom and discernment to overcome temptation and deal with the unrighteous. We need to trust God's wisdom and discernment to overcome temptation and deal with the unrighteous. Notice what it says here in 2 Peter. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Listen, it may seem like false teachers are surviving, and that may confuse us. It may even cause us to go, well, maybe, maybe they're walking with the Lord. No. It just means that their day of judgment hasn't come. But we are told in Scripture that God is continuing to pour out His wrath against them, even though we can't see it. But He's also the rescuer of our souls. You see, God knows how to rescue us. Lot was tempted. Lot even made a mistake. A grave one that cost him two of his daughters. In fact, his entire family was destroyed as a result of God's wrath over the city. God had found one righteous. The truth is that we have to be willing to trust in God's wisdom and discernment to overcome temptation and deal with the unrighteous. God can rescue us. And if we're tempted to give in to sin, we're tempted to fall, follow false teachers because it's easier, we submit to the way God says to deal with temptation. And in 1 Corinthians 10, we're told this. We're simply told, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then he says these words, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We need to get away from this stuff. We don't entertain false teachers. We don't sit in their midst and think that we'll be just fine, but it's easier to sit in their midst because our family's there and we don't know what else to do. God says that the only way that you can deal with it so that you're not affected by it is to get away from it. We have to trust that God's word is right. That when we're facing temptation, God says to flee idolatry. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6 adds this, and this is where we're going to end this morning. But it speaks well to what we're 
what we're working through this morning. This is what it says. It says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when they do not join in the, them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge, the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Listen, we need to trust that God's way are right. And as we walk them out according to his way, as we trust his word, his wisdom, his discernment, not our way, God will grant us victory. God will not only grant us victory, but he will grant us deliverance from those that are seeking to devour us. So this morning, may it be our prayer together as a body at Redemption Hill, may we not be misled by those who seek to devour but may we be submitted to him, being watchful, knowing that his judgment is just as sure as his deliverance, trusting in his wisdom and discernment, knowing that his word and his grace can be depended on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful faithfulness that's displayed to us through your grace and through your word. This morning, Father, as we take this May this prepare us for those times which we are confronted with false teaching. May this give us a passion to get deeper into the word so that we might know what is counter to your word. And Father, may we rest in your glorious grace, knowing that it is only by an act of your mercy that we have life today in you. Father, may we rejoice that God, that you have redeemed us and it is your desire that we never go back to the vomit the way that those false teachers have. May we never see the days of old before our faith. And God, may we rejoice in the newness and the freedom of your salvation. And we ask this in your name. Amen.